Alright, so while I guess while we wait, here's here's the uh here's the deal. We're gonna do a short timeline of the fall of Rome to get, you know, an overview. Then a, there's a guide that was actually pretty good. The information was good. Uh, it, it was written relatively well. So it's a guide to the fall of the Roman collapse and the fall and collapse of the Roman Empire. So that'll be good. And then we're going to go into five ways Christianity spread through ancient Rome, which was a it's a pretty interesting deal if, if you haven't really gone through that. And then we also have Christianity as a whole, I suppose. Uh, throughout the Roman age, which is also very, very good. So we're going to go through that too. And then a bit about the Colosseum, because that's super interesting. Uh, when you get into Ignatia, Ignatius and, and you know, what he seemed to have gone through from the, you know, some of the written record that we have, it was wild. It's wild and very interesting. Pastora, what's going on? TikTok, go to YouTube. Instagram, go to YouTube. Go to YouTube. I'm already excited. You're already excited. Yeah, you got uh, Instagram. You guys need to go to YouTube because I, I have, I'm going to have things on the screen and there will also be people calling in that you're not going to be able to hear them unless you're on YouTube. So go there. Go there. These are only open to get you to go there. And then if you want to talk, you, you've got to join the Discord. There's a link on my profile there. All right, we, uh, shoot, we got to go. We're going to roll. We're going to roll. So the first thing I want to run through is this. This is really interesting. Lilith, what's going on? So this is a short timeline of the fall of Rome. And I need to move that. There we go. All right, short timeline of the fall of Rome. The fall of Roman Empire was undoubtedly an earth-shattering occurrence in Western civilization, but there isn't one single event that scholars can agree on that decisively led to the end of the glory that was Rome, nor which point on a timeline could stand as the official end. This this is actually super interesting. Rudy, what's going on? I think you were on Instagram, weren't you? Maybe not. Maybe not. Go to Instagram. Go to my profile. There's a link to my YouTube, and there's a link to the Discord. It's the same username as here. So go to YouTube, type in Tattoo Theist, and there will be a live video already going. People are already in there. So just shift over to YouTube. Same username. Super easy to find. Uh, but this was something that was that was really interesting to me to, when I was going through all this again, because like I said, it's been a really long time since I've gone through Rome, uh, was remembering that there is massive debate about what actually caused the fall. And it's a huge, huge timeline. So it's it's not like, a war happened and Rome fell. It's and this is why I personally think people relate what's happening specifically in the Western world to the fall of Rome is that it's not one thing that happens and then everything collapsed. It's it's these small little incremental hits to the society that eventually result in a, a collapse near the end as it keeps going and going. It eventually completely implodes. But it's not something you can just quickly identify, especially with how much information was lost uh, just from Rome itself. But how much information is lost throughout history? We talk about it here all the time because we study the Bible. So much was lost go going through the Bible and modern Bibles. So much even in Jewish literature was lost. So much was changed. So much was redacted. You have all these people in positions of power that... You have all these people in positions of power that alter 
our records. So we don't have clean historical records. Even think about like Christopher Columbus, man. There is so much disagreement about who Christopher Columbus was, whether he actually founded America or not. It's it's in no way is it, you know, do historical scholars agree on these things? It's all over the place. Opinions all over the place. So the first thing to understand about going through the fall of Rome is I could pull up five different sources explaining the exact same points and they will still differ in what they tell you. The timelines will differ. Everything about it will differ to some degree. What the catalyst was that really started it will differ. What the uh, imploding ending that really made it fall will be different. So just understand, this is no different. History just in general is no different than when we go through the Bible and we talk about, well, it could be this and it could be this. And this is what some scholars think. And this is what this historian thinks. It's all over the place. So you just have to know that. So I got the best sources that I could find. Obviously, it's a bias to what I believe happened and when I believe it happened. So I'm telling you that up front, like I always do and I always will. Uh, This is what I think is the best aggregated, informative view that we could have going through this. Sorry. Okay, so that out of the way. The timelines, they differ a little bit. The, The actual point of failure for the society itself, the opinions differ a little bit. Nat, what's going on? Pyro. Charlotte, Charlotte, you found us. I'm glad you found us. Guys who are new, uh, go to our Discord. There's a link at the top of the live chat. It's It says me6.xyz. It's not a spam link. It'll take you straight to our Discord group. You can join. It's free. It'll always be free. There are voice channels in that Discord group that look like this. It says podcast call-in. You can click on that, and then you can join voice. So if anybody wants to come on and speak, you have an opinion, you have a question, whatever, you can join this channel, you can click the little button to raise your hand, and then I'll see that and we can bring you in. We do this every Thursday. Every Thursday is open discussion. You can come on and talk, you can just listen, whatever. But every Thursday, this is what we do. So the ancient city of Rome, according to tradition, was founded in 753 BCE. It wasn't until 509 BCE, however, that the Roman Republic was founded. The Republic functioned effectively until civil war during the first century BCE led to the fall of the Republic and the creation of the Roman Empire in 27 CE. While the Roman Republic was a time of great advances in science, art, and agriculture, the fall of Rome refers to the end of the Roman Empire in 476 CE. So that is something to just understand, because as you go through some of these timelines, you may be like, well, that's that's not what I thought. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't align. You you have to kind of differentiate. You, you have the Republic and you have the Empire. And it's not the exact same thing. So th- there are differences there. So if you get confused about timelines, then try to pay attention to those key words, Republic and Empire. And that might help you get it kind of sorted out. So Fall of Rome events, short timeline. The date at which one starts or ends a Fall of Rome timeline is subject to debate and interpretation, which is what I was just talking about. One could, for example, start the decline as early as the 2nd century CE, reign of Marcus Aurelius' successor, his son, Commodus. One thing real quick, y'all, if you have not read anything from Marcus Aurelius, I don't know if we can be friends. If you have never read anything from Marcus Aurelius, I don't care if you agree with him or not, it's, it's, it's pivotal pivotal you got to read something 
Gotta read something. I can give you suggestions. Maybe I'll put some in the library on Discord. But Marcus Aurelius going through literature uh, around him and by him is just wild. Absolutely wild. Yes, Meditations is this is like super famous. Everybody kind of knows Meditations. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's real good. Specifically, and I, I think women should definitely read it too. It's not, it's not like a, it doesn't matter what, you know, gender or sex you are, the book. But I think every man should be like forced to read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. It's phenomenal. It's real, real good. Hey, Kat, can you text Mike and tell him that I told him I wasn't going to be available so and he keeps calling me? Thanks. Uh, so his son, Commodus, who ruled 180 to 192 CE, this period of imperial crisis is a compelling choice and easy to understand as a starting point. So that's the starting point. This perspective is going to go with, it seems like it is going off of that. Again, you can start the timeline several different places, which is where this kind of gets tough. But you have to pick something. You have to pick a starting point. Consider the that we're going through the New Testament right now in chronological order. And I say it every time we start a new book. This is, in my opinion, the best chronological order we have. There are people who disagree. But I would say if you aggregated scholarship, they would go with the timeline that we are going off of. And not because I'm smart, because I'm going to go with whatever the most smart people think is accurate. So same same kind of rules apply. The Fall of Rome timeline, however, uses standard events and marks the end with the British historian Edward Gibbons conventionally accepted date for the Fall of Rome at 476 CE, as described in his famous history entitled The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. So this timeline begins just before the east-west splitting of the Roman Empire, a time described as chaotic and ends when the last Roman emperor was disposed but allowed to live out his life in retirement. So this is where we get to the actual timeline. So this is 235 through 284, crisis of the third century, or known as the Age of Chaos. Also known as the period of military anarchy or the Imperial Crisis, this period began with the assassination of Cerevas Alexander, who ruled between 222 and 235 by his own troops. So he's taken out by his own troops, mutiny, essentially. That was followed by nearly 50 years of chaos when military leaders wrestled one another for power, rulers died in unnatural causes, and there were revolts, plagues, fires, and Christian persecutions, which us, as a Christian-centric group, we're going to dig into a little bit of that more specifically after we get a broader scope, because that is super interesting. But we'll get there. Tetrarchy. This is uh, 285 through 305. And this was between 285 and 293. Diocletian split the Roman Empire into two pieces and added junior emperors to help run them, making a total of four Caesars called a Tetrarchy. When Diocle Diocletian, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's the best I got, y'all. And Maximian, Maximian abducted their co-rulers, civil war, broke out. There was a lot of civil war in Rome. There was also a lot of, uh, I guess, what would the PC term for them be? I don't know a politically correct term for what I'm trying to describe. Wild people, I guess. There were a lot of wild people from uh, some of the non-civil areas that were around Rome that would come in and basically start crap. So there, there was a lot of that. It was, it was constant issues in, in Rome. So this is 306 to 337, acceptance of Christianity. And this is where we're going to get into much deeper 
here in a bit. But in 312, the Emperor Constantine, which is a name everybody knows, who ruled between 280 and 337, defeated his co-emperor, Maxentius, who ruled between 306 and 312, at the Milvian Bridge and became sole ruler in the West. Later, Constantine defeated the Eastern ruler and became the sole ruler for the entire Roman Empire. During his reign, Constantine established Christianity and created a capital for the Roman Empire in the East at Constantinople, which is Turkey. 360 through 363 is the fall of paganism. Try to keep the timeline in your head. Like, like put little, I don't know if you're a visual or, or a, you know, auditorial learner, but try to picture this as you go. Like Christianity not involved. You have what going on. And then as Christianity slowly gets involved, try to pay attention to kind of what, what happens from there. This is uh, the fall of the official of official paganism. The Roman Emperor Julian, who is 360 through 363 CE and known as Julian the Apostate, attempted to reverse the religious trend to Christianity with a return to paganism. Supported by the government, he failed and died in the East fighting the Parthians. Then we have the Battle of Andrianople. Eastern Roman Emperor Flavius Julius Valens Augustine, Augustus, Augustus, sorry, known as Valens, ruled 364 through 378, fought and was defeated and killed by the Viscoths in the Battle of Adrianople. Adrianople. East-West split after Valens' death, Theodos ruled between 379 and 395, briefly reunited the empire, but it didn't last beyond his reign. At his death, the empire was divided by his sons, Arcadius in the east and Honorius in the west. So if you notice the amount of rulers that come and go, barbarians, barbarians, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Yes, barbarians. Is that politically correct now, though? I feel like people will get offended about barbarians now, too. But that's exactly what I wanted to say. So thank you for saying. Yeah, so so on top of all this, you have all of this infighting. You, you have a society that is just, it's you, people who are power hungry, you have to think two rulers are, are still at this time more lineage than anything else. So it's not like they're qualified to go into being the ruler of Rome or a ruler of Rome. They, in most cases, such as one of the emperors who is 15 years old, these guys come in through lineage. They didn't do anything. They're not special. They're not, you know, good leaders. They're not charismatic necessarily. They were just born in a specific bloodline, which is obviously just not a good call. So then you get people like that in positions of power. Not great stuff is going to happen. Not wonderful things are going to happen. On top of that, you have families fighting ruler to ruler. You have other people trying to come up and do sort of mutinies like the beginning that we read where your own troops will come in and take you out. It's just constant flipping of leadership, constantly flipping and flipping and flipping. Sack of Rome. Visigoths made several successions successful incursions into Italy beginning in 401 and in the end under the rule of Visigoth King Alaric, Alaric 395 through 410 sacked Rome. This is often a date given for the official fall of Rome. So that's a keynote. Boom. This is this is an answer that you'll get a lot if you just Google it. You'll you'll get this right here. Is it actually though? I Who's to say? But my opinion, 
after going through all of this, and I believe that probably you would agree once we get to the end of it, is that it really wasn't. It, it was just another catalyst. It was just another nail in the coffin. It was just more. It, it wasn't the thing. It, it wasn't that important. Dissonance of nod, yeah. Banshees, God, that's a good word. That reminds me of Halo too. Nepotism leads to bags of cocaine in the castle. Yeah, very true. Very true. That's the same as today. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say it. I'm glad you said it. Yeah, or in the White House. Or in the White House. Vandal sack North Africa. Vandals under Geyserik? 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 King of the Vandals and Allens between 428 and 477 attacked Northern Africa, cutting off the grain supply to the Romans. Another thing that was an issue, perpetually pretty much, is famine. Food supply, famine, clean water was perpetually an issue in the area. Huns attack. Here you go. There's your barbarians. I mean, oh God, people are going to get offended about that. I'm sorry. Huns attack, though. The Central Asian Huns, led by their king Attila, through uh, 434 to 453, threatened Rome, were paid off, and then attacked again, which is actually interesting. Pastora was here earlier. Um, is actually interesting. If this, if you were to take this and just look this up, you'll find conflicting things just like anything else in history. But it, it is really interesting to, to hear some of the some of the narratives about how the Huns came. They threatened Rome. Roman leadership and, and soldiers basically bargained with them and, and did pay them off. It, it was a deal. A deal was made. Uh, and I believe it was I believe it was trade for food. I could be wrong, but I, I think it was trade for food. So the Huns left. They resupplied their people and then they came back and attacked Rome again which is just kind of a badass move. Vandals sack Rome. Vandals plunder Rome, amounting to the fourth sack of the city. Fourth, at least. In some accounts, you'll see five or six, depending on your source. But by an agreement with Pope Leo I, they injured, they injured few people or buildings. So not that, not that catastrophic. They're the, fall of the, the fall of the Emperor of Rome. The last Western Emperor, Romulus, August Augustulus Romulus Augustulus what a name 475 through 476 is disposed by the barbarian general Odacare who then rules Italy okay the Huns just wanted asylum oh my god I got nothing to say about that it's Mr. Nat yo Nick Nick Clusty is Clusty y'all's last name? That's a savage last name. Clusty. It's like fancy almost. I want to I want to know where that name comes from if that's actually your last name. All right, when did Rome actually fall? This is a new source now, so it, it does vary very slightly, but it's very close. It is Clusty, that's so badass. I love that. All right. The fall of the Roman Empire is one of the most debated questions among historians of the ancient world, which is wildly true. It collapse. Its collapse has been blamed on a number of different reasons, but even the exact date of its end is still questioned. Some historians give AD 476 as the date of the of the empire that the empire ended. I apologize. Other historians say that the Roman Empire never actually ended at all, claiming that its eastern half continued in the form of the Byzantine Empire. I don't personally agree with that. I, I get where it comes from. I understand the argument. 
I just think there there's too much of a divide between the two, in my opinion, and who the hell am I? But that's that's my opinion. Who was Rome's last emperor? The last Roman emperor is generally accepted as being Romulus Augustulus, aka Augustulus. Interesting too. You will you will find different answers about that as well. And I personally have no idea how to make any sense of it. it it's it's either it's like I think it's three names that they give depending on your source. And I have yet to read anything super compelling where I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably the truth. That's probably the guy. It's real tough. This stuff conflicts way too much. A teenager when he took the imperial throne, I believe he was 15. He ruled for just over 10 months before being disposed by the Germanic leader, Odakir. I think. Odakir, Odakir. When did the cracks first begin to show in the empire? So this is when it gets interesting. This is when it gets interesting. When do things begin to fall? Because it's it's not a matter of when did Rome fall? It's it to me personally, to me personally, it's a matter of when did things start to happen that maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe 200 years resulted in the fall of the society. And why is because at the end of this, we are going to come back to this question. And I, I hope that some of you come on the voice channel and we can talk because what I want to actually ask you all is, do you see similar things happening in the modern Western world? If you're not super into politics and super into culture, you might have not heard this. But within these realms of culture and politics, you are seeing massive, massive numbers of people comparing the modern world to the fall of the Roman Empire. Because you have to remember, Rome was highly advanced at the time. Highly advanced. They had things figured out for the most part. They didn't have stability at all. No stability, really. It was it was a freaking wreck. But as far as like advancements of societal positioning, Rome was doing well. They were way ahead of most. And then something happened and then something happened and then something happened. And it's just this slow crumble from the top of the building until there is nothing left. And you see a lot of people. Charlotte, I see you. Are you in discord? You got to get in the discord if you want to talk. Um, and I'll show you that in a minute. But a lot of people believe that we are in a similar state right now. A lot of people argue it and say, well, nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. I would push back on that super heavy. But anyways, the point is, keep that in mind. Keep modern day in mind. U.S., if you want to be central, just think of the U.S. When, when did the U.S. start to go downhill? What things are you seeing as you start to see the U.S. go downhill? And what do you think the end result of this role will be? Those are the questions, but let's roll through this first. So when did the cracks first begin to show in the empire? Charlotte, beautiful, I gotcha. Give me one second and then I'll do the Discord run through. Again, this is a heavily debated question. Many date the beginning of the Romans end to about AD 190. Do you remember any of the dates we just looked at? Real far past that, real far past. So this is, this is one view of when it began to show cracks. It began to crumble. When the empire started to come under attack from various tribes, including the fierce Germanic tribe, known as the Goths and the Vandals. The Goths were savage. Savage. In a beautiful way. In an awful way, but in a beautiful way. Was it purely outside factors that caused the empire's fall? No. 
There are several contributing factors, some of which were taking place within the empire itself. Severe financial crisis caused by wars and overspending had led to overtaxation and inflation. I'm sorry, but just read that. What does that sound like? What does that sound like? For me, that's the first check. For me. I don't know about you. For me, that's check number one. Severe financial crisis. We are in a, believe it or not, we're in a financial crisis, the likes of which the U.S. has never seen. And when this tumbles, and when we get off these artificial stock market highs and artificial home inflation highs, it will be, it will blow 2008 out of the water, in my personal opinion. But just something to keep in mind. This, in turn, saw Romans fleeing to the countryside as a way of avoiding the tax man. I can relate. In addition, the empire's expansion had slowed down considerably by the second century, meaning that the steady steam of labor provided by slaves brought in from conquered lands had also halted, causing a major labor deficit. Agriculture and commercial production declined as a result, which in turn affected trade. Another huge thing to keep in mind is that the Romans had a lot of labor. They, they would conquer or they would kidnap and then they would put them to use as labor. And they would obviously do the things that the Romans did not really want to do. But they had a massive labor force that was, I don't know if primarily would be the right word, but that was largely uh, forced labor. So getting paid nothing or getting paid very, very little, like just enough to be able to eat. Government corruption and political instability were also contributing factors to the empire's eventual fall. A series of weak emperors from the second century had seen more than 20 men on the imperial throne in just 75 years. That's a lot. 20 men in 75 years. Thanks in part to the Praetorian Guard. Praetorian Guard. Bodyguards to the emperor which was using its power to decide to decide to promote or kill off would be emperors, which was using its power to decide to promote or kill off would be emperors. The Senate, too, was rife with corruption and was unable or unwilling to reign in the excessive in the excess of its rulers. The people began to lose faith in its leaders. When people lose faith in the government, bad things happen historically has always happened. When you do not anymore or any longer have the people on your side, things go downhill. Which again, for me, that is a check mark. Does that relate to anything that you may be feeling now? For me personally, it does. Civil war also weakened the empire. The third century had seen Emperor Alexander Severus murdered by his own troops while on campaign. We covered that. The ensuing political instability launched the empire into a crippling civil war, which saw dozens of emperors come and go. This period of conflict was exasperated by external threats from outside forces and continued well into the fourth century. That is long. Rome's famous legions also began to falter, and it became increasingly difficult to recruit men to its army. Foreign mercenaries who were recruited, including the Goths and barbarians who were trying to take the Romans' land, failed to have the same loyalty to the empire and often turned against their employers. That is not surprising. You, you are bringing outsiders in. You are bringing outsiders that in many cases you have fought with already or you have stole from or who have stole from you, like the Huns. You're bringing them in and just assuming everything is going to be beautiful and it's all going to work out. That's a, that's a wild thought. It's a wild thought. P.K. Carve. History repeats itself over 
and over. Yes, it does, because people do not learn. We we do not learn. Societies do not learn. All right, give me a second. I'm going to look at the chat real quick and see if I missed anything. When they started all the gender-fluid rhetoric. Yeah. We're actually not going to go into that. But at some point, I do want to. But to me, that's that's a whole topic in and of itself. When they sacrifice children and when the gender fluidity and the swapping of the genders kind of came into the picture. And let's let's actually talk about that real quick. Uh, so super fast. Any of you guys who are new, I've seen a few new names in there. There is a link to the discord at the top of the live chat. So if you pull up your live chat, you see I have a pinned comment right here. Just click that. It's not a spam link. It'll bring you right to this discord page where you can join. It's free. It'll always be free. You can just pop right in. There's, you know, 150 some people in here. There's topics for everything, you know, conspiracy culture, the Bible, theology. We, we put our things that we read up there. And then when we do these live streams, you can come into this section and there's going to be a topic for every live stream we do. So you see the follow room right here. Before these streams happen, you know, a week ahead of time. So if you have anything that you want to be covered, you just come throw it in here. And then I'll see that and then we can cover it as we go. If you have any questions after the stream and you or you want to just continue the conversation, throw some stuff in one of these forum threads that is the topic that, that we did. And then, you know, everybody can talk. Beyond that, you've got this right here, streams and lives. During the live streams, if you join these channels like Ghost is right here, you can raise your hand. I can let you in and then you are able to speak. Please just make sure you don't have a lot of background noise. And if you say anything inappropriate, then you'll be booted and you'll never come back on again. So just be mindful of what you say. But that is another option for Thursdays. That I don't like just sitting here and talking is the point. So I love when you guys come on and we have a conversation. That's my whole thing. So then real quick with the gender fluidity thing and the swapping of the genders, this, this is something that was prevalent in Rome. And there are a lot of arguments that I tend to agree with in my opinion, and I fully understand that I come from a biased view, but I feel that it's true, so I'm gonna stick with it. There there was a, a point near the end of Rome where stability was okay, considering Rome never having stability, it was okay. But one thing that you saw sociologically that was very interesting was you began to see the swapping of gender roles. So what does that look like? Uh, I assume everybody knows because we're living in an age where that is a thing. You, you started to see men adopting and acting effeminate. So, so men were dressing more feminine. They were speaking more feminine. They were behaving in a more feminine way. At the same time, you had a lot of women asking in a masculine way. So women were behaving more masculine, speaking more masculine, in some cases dressing more masculine. So you had this odd sociological drift from gender role to outside of gender role that that historically in other areas, too, has almost always resulted in some kind of societal collapse. It doesn't mean full anarchy. It doesn't mean everybody dies. It's not some big dramatic thing. But when you when you start to see in a societal context, people not understand who they are or what they are bodily spiritually, uh, personality wise, you, you almost always see a subsequent fall of that society. You just do. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen again. However, what's, what's the saying? History doesn't repeat. It rhymes. So it's similar things happen and similar consequences follow. 
It's not always exactly the same and then the exact same consequence, but when similar behaviors happen at a large scale, a, a, a large societal scale, you normally all throughout history from the best, you know, literature that we have, it, it shows us that it is not rare for people to begin to follow that same route. So just another comparison of Rome and, and what we unfortunately are kind of going through today. And that's nothing against the individuals. We're talking about the, the societal context. It's not against any individual. All right, we read that. What other factors are thought to have contributed to the empire's fall? Rome's influence was reduced significantly in the 3rd century AD when Emperor Diocletian Diaclect took the decision to split governance of the empire. The Western Empire had its capital in Milan, while the Eastern Empire would have its capital in Byzantium later known as Constantinople. Although the move made the empire easier to govern, the two halves drifted apart and failed to work in unison to see off external threats. The eastern half continued to grow in wealth, but the western half, which saw economic decline and continued barbarian attacks, eventually fell in the 5th century. Some historians also cite Christianity as a factor in Roman's fall. In Rome's fall. And we're going to come back to that. The religion was legalized in AD 313 and became a state religion in AD 380. Although this decree saw an end to the persecution of Christians, it also saw the decline of Roman religion, which worshipped many gods and viewed the emperor as a divine being. Now, one of the only obligations is to protect the most vulnerable. That's absolutely true. And I think we're doing the opposite in today's world. I think I think we are using the not we, but our 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 leadership in this country is using people who are the most vulnerable, whether that's children or whether that's that's full adults who just don't have absolute control of themselves. Pe people who are perhaps not as intelligent, perhaps have some kind of mental deficiency. Either way, they're vulnerable. They're just as vulnerable as children, some of them. And, and our, our government, our leadership uses those people for a lot of different reasons. They use those people. Uh, Charlotte said it's when the synergy reverse and fights instead of cooperation. Masculine and feminine are representative of forces outside people and individuals. That was very well said. That was very, very, very well said. I'm going to read that again. Charlotte said this, and this is gold. It said, it's when the synergy reverse and fights instead of cooperation. Masculine and feminine are representative of forces outside people and individuals. That, in my opinion, is absolute truth. That was very well said. Super well said. Texas will be the new... <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, have, have you guys seen the Civil War movie that's coming out next year? I mean, not seen it, but have you have you heard about it? Have you seen the map that they set out? I've got a very interesting map. Ghost, I'm sure you've seen it if you watch Timcast. Yeah, I know. I, I think it was them that were talking about it. It's very interesting. Very interesting. They got no brains at all. So <laughs> the real victims has always been the children, sadly. Yeah, 100%. For a lot of different reasons, right? Not only are they vulnerable, they're malleable. The, the younger you are, the more malleable you are. I mean, that's it's a large reason why why 
you know, talking nature, nature versus nurture, there's a, a big push and, and people believing that nurture is a big deal. And it is. I mean, I indoctrinate my kid into into being like me because I believe everybody believes they are right. Everybody believes that they have the proper view on the world for the most part. And so we are all going to indoctrinate our children into believing or, or, or aligning with what we believe to be the truth of the world. I certainly do that. I don't force religion on her. I, I introduce her to it and I, I leave things open to her. But I indoctrinate, indoctrinate her on things like morality, things that I believe are absolutely objective. I do indoctrinate her on that. And she is malleable, just like every other kid. Which is why a lot of kids get super messed up, too, because parents are not always the best and their kids are going to follow after them. They had women gladiators, too. If your goal is to poison the food supply, corrupting the seeds would be got to hate this cuts off would be the best method. For that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you get it at the root, if you can do something at the root. Yeah, that's uh, that's useful to say the least. All right, running through this five ways Christianity spread through ancient Rome. And then after this, Christianity and the Roman Empire. And then we are going to move straight to the voice channel. And if you guys have anything you want to uh, chime in here, well, actually, I want you to, because I, I do want to hear a few of you's opinions on the correlation between Rome and modern day. So I'm going to try to breeze through this. We're not going to read all of it. Everyday citizens spread the word. So the biggest way that Christianity began to and then continued to spread through the Roman Empire and the surrounding areas was like most cases. It was people. It, it wasn't the government. It wasn't leadership. It wasn't necessarily soldiers. Uh, it, it was just normal people. And in many cases, keeping it very quiet and just moving this information through the area. That is the primary way that Christianity was spread throughout Rome. Missionaries are a part of the story, but most of the story is about regular Christians talking to regular people. And that's exactly how it happened. It was just like me going to my neighbor and discussing it with him. And then he goes to his other neighbor and discusses it with him. Nick Clusty, that's why we're going to have 10 kids. Got to have a little community of so, somewhat decent humans. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I remember, I think one of the first times I met your wife, Nick, on, on the live stream, I think it was the Israel live stream we were having. Uh, she mentioned something about that, wanting a bunch of kids. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Have as many kids as you guys can manage to have and instill your values because I, your wife has a very level head. So I'm sure that you have an equally level head. Have as many as you can, man. God, we, we need people with a with a straight mind to have as many children as you can possibly have. Thank God for you. Have 10, have 20. Early on, number two, early on, Christianity coexisted with paganism. We don't need to go through this because we know this. If you have read the Bible in any way other than just reading the words and ignoring the meaning of anything or the context, you are well aware that Christianity and paganism have basically been hand in hand, side by side and fighting against each other since the beginning of both. Essentially, Ju Judaism first, but as Christianity got ushered in with with the uh, with Jesus coming in and filling, fulfilling the law, and then you had the movement of Christianity, the early way with Paul as the leader. Essentially, you you had Christianity basically running in parallel to paganism. We just talked about it as we finished up First Thessalonians on Sunday. We talked about it massively going through Corinthians, and we're going to talk about it again going through Second Thessalonians on Sunday. Is that they run parallel? 
Paganism has been there. Christianity is now there in the case of Thessalonians. Christianity had been around in the case of Rome here, but it runs parallel to paganism. They're, they're the two major faith systems in, in most areas during these time periods. Early Christians, number three. Early Christians didn't present themselves as an executive club. It says Christianity also got a boost from the idea that it was a religion for anyone, not just people in certain religion, in a certain religion, with a specific religious background. Though some Christians debated this point, missionaries like Paul preached that a person didn't have to obey Jewish laws around circumcision and kosher food practices to become Christian. So this is a big thing that we have also talked about in a lot of different contexts, is that Christianity is under what is called adiaphora. Adiaphora is a Greek word that essentially means there are gray areas. Morality is not gray. That's not what I'm talking about. Morality is absolute, and it is absolutely absolute. Meaning, what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong. God is the objective authority of the world. God is the objective authority of all of mankind, and his laws are law. However, it very much differs from Old Testament God. And yes, they are the same person, blah, 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 blah. But with the rule, the, the moral obligations that God of the Old Testament had over the Jewish people was very different than what Jesus Christ had being God of the New Testament, essentially, at least in the narrative. It was very different. Under Christ, Paul talks about all the time, you have to practice adiaphora. What might be right for some of you might not be right for others. However, this, 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 and this are wrong for everybody. There are absolutes. However, there are some things that are not absolute. And under that is what you call adiaphora. And that, that is the gray area. Not to be conflated for the 50th time with morality, because that is absolute. But there are little things that Paul got into a whole lot through the New Testament. And the whole point is that it's not as strict. People were used to hearing about Judaism. Judaism is very strict. You have Mosaic law, hundreds of laws that are very black and white. There is very little gray in the Jewish faith. There is a lot of gray in the Christian faith. There is still a lot of black and white, though, too. So that is essentially what this is. The Roman people had a, an interesting view of Christianity because they felt like it was much freer in a way. Because it is. A, a huge theme of the New Testament was you are free now under Christ. You, you are not tied to these things. You're not tied to these laws. You are tied to morality. You are tied to sin. You are tied to doing the right thing. You are tied to following God's laws. However, you are not under Mosaic Levitical law. You are under Christ now. Christ fulfilled it, didn't abolish it, but he fulfilled it. And now we are living in a different zone, essentially. Number four, early persecution wasn't widespread. We're not going to read that because this is also very simple too. It is exactly what it says. It just wasn't super widespread. It was more individualized to certain people. Essentially, from my understanding, is that certain Christians would kind of piss people off. And so they would go after those Christians and they would persecute those Christians. It wasn't necessarily a full-on assault of Christianity as a faith-based system. Number five, the emperor converted and officially recognized the faith. And this we covered during the timeline. So we're going to skip past that because there's more I want to get to and I want to get you guys on here. All right, Christianity in the Roman Empire. Let's see, we might skip some of this. Christianity in Rome, in the decades after Jesus' death, the Apostle Paul wrote many letters that are now part of the New Testament of the Christian Bible. Paul was a Roman citizen and sent these letters to small communities of Christians living throughout the Roman Empire. Remember that. 
Remember that. If you read the New Testament, you know this. If you pay attention, Paul was Roman. He, he was a Jew and he was a Roman citizen, which is why in Acts, I believe, if I remember right, in Acts, you had the issue of, of Paul being basically charged. And part of his argument was that they couldn't charge him because he was a Roman citizen. Uh, the letters show us that Paul and his fellow Christians were still figuring out exactly what being a Christian meant. Issues related to the exact relationship between Judaism and Christianity and between Christianity and the Roman government were prominent topics of discussion. Now, one question I want to ask you is, is this Ro Romans were persecuting Christians. Yes. Yes, they were. So, so. Actually, no, we're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to it because that's that'll lead us into something else. This is what I want to go into next. The Colosseum. The Colosseum was a massive, massive, massive arena, essentially. And the, one of the primary uses of the Colosseum from literature, a little bit of dispute, was for killing people. It's just the deleting people, whatever. YouTube already hates us. It was for killing people. So what would happen in, in our Christian context is they would bring in some Christian, primarily Christians were persecuted. You can find some stuff on Jews, but they didn't really care. It seemed like Christianity was, and I'll tell you what, actually, we'll come back. We'll come to it right now. Now, this is where I was going to go with it. In if you take Christianity and, and the Roman Empire, you had persecution of Christians. Why? Why? Why would the Roman Empire, why would Roman leadership want to get rid of Christians? Anybody who wants to come on and talk, you need to come into the voice channel on Discord. It's up on the screen right now. You need to click that so that you're in the audience down here next to Ghost. Because we're going to roll into that in just a minute. Because he told people to listen to him and not to them. Essentially, I, 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 I say this all the time and it. I'm sorry, but Jesus Christ was a rebel. I don't care what anybody says. The, the dude was not progressive. The dude was not aligned with society. He was not aligned with the leadership at Rome. He was, they killed him. I, I've, I'll never understand this weird modern view of Jesus. We're like, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That one verse in Romans where Christians throw it out like, oh, you have to respect the government. You have to support the government. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's not what he was talking about, one. And two, it's a matter of aggregation, which we talk about all the time. Are you going to take the one verse that, that alludes to you paying taxes over the entirety of the personal profile of who Jesus Christ was in the narrative of the New Testament. People who choose the one verse that is about taxation in their mind, uh, as opposed to taking the total personality profile of who Jesus was and what he did throughout the entire narrative, I will never understand how your brain works. It's wild to me. Jesus was counterculture. Jesus was against all of the major governments of the time. Jesus was essentially pulling people into a new wave of religion that was loyal to God, that was monotheistic, counterculture. Loyalty to God and not to government was counterculture. Loyalty to a monotheistic God instead of a polytheistic God, paganism, 
is counterculture. Jesus was completely shaking up any any town, any society that he entered. It, it's beyond me why that's not so obvious to people. He was against it. He was against it. There are, if you go into the Geneva Bible and, and some of the older manuscripts, there and there's debate about this, and I, I fully understand, and I'm open to being wrong about this. But reading through many older manuscripts, you can find parts of the Bible where certain things about government were taken out. Now, were they put in wrongfully first and then taken out later? Possibly. Anything is possible. I fully believe the Bible has been redacted. You all know that. Things have been changed. I know that for sure because there are old manuscripts and you can see it that certain things are not in there anymore. So one of those things is spirituality, and we talk about that a lot. Spirituality was removed from the Bible. All of the mentions in the Old Testament were the, that were significant at all, removed. Many of the mentions in the New Testament that were significant, removed. These things were removed. Why? Why? I believe it's because they, they using the big scary they, do not want people to understand spirituality. They don't want you to be spiritual. They want you to be to be malleable. They want you to be agreeable. They, they want you to be focused on, on your screen and, and on eating shit food that makes you sick and hurts your health and makes you be a loyal customer to the medical industry for the rest of your life. That is what the big they want. They don't want you being spiritually inclined or spiritually in tuned or relying on God over government. They want you relying on government. They want you relying on them. I mean, it's, it's relatively obvious. So if Jesus was coming in and saying, no, 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 we're not relying on the government. We are relying on God. We're not, we're not going to rely on what society comes to offer. We're going to rely on what God brought us. You're going to rely on what I bring you being Jesus. You're going to rely on what I bring you. Jesus is spiritual intelligence in the flesh. Well said. Jesus was counterculture. So I, I won't understand the whole Roman thing. But Jesus was very much in the other direction. So it makes perfect sense why the Romans did not like Christians. Because people like Ignatius would come in and spread this word. And so they killed him. Because they don't want him to speak of it. They don't want him to spread this. So anyways, we know that things about spirituality were removed from the Bible. We know that, whatever. Okay? They, they don't want us to be spiritual. They want us to be dull. They want you to be malleable and agreeable. That's not spiritual. Spiritual has you loyal to God, who they don't control. Malleable and agreeable has you loyal to them. Okay, so spirituality was taken out. We, we now choose to rely on God. The other thing, though, was things about the government that were taken out. It's much harder to nail those down in a comfortable way where you feel confident about what was taken out. But the general theme is that certain statements about not being not adhering to government control and it doesn't mean anarchy and it doesn't mean go hurt anybody or anything like that it just means that you are you shouldn't rely on a human government you should you shouldn't rely on them you should rely on yourself you should rely on god you should rely on the church the church was a community thing in the beginning it's it is still now but it's different but you used to go to the church to be fed if you didn't have food. You used to go to the church to be clothed if you didn't have food. You used to go to the church if you didn't have something you needed. And some people still do, which is great. But a lot of people go to the government now. We have welfare and WICs 
and all these different things. Then the power of one person who tells the truth topples in the entire empire, just like Alexander. Yeah. Yeah, she she do be reading, don't she? Psalm 12, 6, 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, are silver tried in the furnace of death. Purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Wouldn't it be great if that happened? You have no idea. No, <laughs> it's GM. Now communion is GMO wafers. Yeah, totally true. The church is a body of believers. Yes, the church is also a physical location in modernity, though. the The church just church just literally means a, a group of people gathered together for a purpose. So yes, I agree. However, in a modern context, if you're talking to normal people and you say the church, they are going to think of a physical building. So that was the reference. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That's not what the church is. That has nothing to do with the building. But you still, you didn't go to, used to go to a building to get clothes or food if you needed it. You'd go to the church. What is the church? It is people. You would go to people who were in your community and you would get what you needed from them. We are living, breathing church 24-7. Yeah, 100%. That's the whole thing, man. All right. The Colosseum has always been a monument surrounded by mystery and legend. In researching this monument, I found it interesting to be able to corroborate or dispel some of these legends and see the extent to which they have been exaggerated. So were Christians really fed to lions? Yes, Christians were fed to half-starved lions, burned alive, and hacked to death. But the most interesting aspect of this was that the Christians who died in the Colosseum wanted to die there as martyrs. And that is true. We have writing from St. Ignatius here. Yeah, I believe he wrote seven letters on his way to the Colosseum, on his way to his death. And what he essentially said was much like what Paul says in a lot of his epistles, is that he, he longs for the suffering. He's dying for it. Because in the suffering, he feels this closeness to Christ and what he went through in a way that brings this, this wild sense of peace. So he was stoked about it, which is wild to think about, but he was. But the most interesting aspect of it was the Christians who died at the Colosseum wanted to die there as martyrs. At that time in the Roman Empire, Christians had a choice to sacrifice to the Roman gods. So sacrilegious, right? You could, you could defy the God that you believe in. The, you know, the God of Israel, and you could now move over and choose to make a sacrifice to the Roman gods or even have one of their slaves sacrifice to the Roman gods and avoid persecution. So that was an option that was given to Christians. They could do that. St. Ignatius, the first Christian who died in the Colosseum, close to die, chose to die for his religion in front of tens of thousands of people rather than escape persecution or die in a less public place. About 3,000 Christian martyrs in all died in the Colosseum. 3,000 Christian martyrs died in the Colosseum. Damn, I'm a knight now. <laughs> An image of the Colosseum that many of us remember is from Jean Leon Jerome painting where vestal virgins and the rest of the crowd are screaming with their limbs, with their thumbs down, asking the gladiator to put his defeated opponent opponent to death. However, the thumbs down gesture may not have been entirely accurate. Some scholars believe that the gesture may have been a thumb to the throat 
mimicking the pain of the dagger that the gladiators would use for a swift, relatively painless execution. So that is another thing, is in the Colosseum, depending on your social status, so if you were somebody of wealth or of a good bloodline, you would usually be put to death quick, meaning something like a sword through the heart, a knife to the throat, something very fast. It was, it was mercy. If you were of Christian values, or you were poor, or you were of a bloodline that was mocked, then you would usually be put to death very slow, or you would be fed to hungry animals. Fun stuff. Komodos played as Joaquin Phoenix in the movie Gladiator, had his arrogant and self-important personality portrayed accurately in the movie. Komodos loved to join in the games. He would don a royal crown and cloak to make himself look like Hermes. He slaughtered thousands of animals and boasted of winning over 620 matches as a secutor, a type of gladiator. Komodos' fascination with strength and combat even led him to elect, erect a statue of himself to resemble Hercules which is a Greek god, right? However, much like the movie, Commodus was a, was a coward that was never in any danger. There would often be a large yet inconspicuous fence separating him from the lions and tigers that he slayed. When a glad, gladiatorial opponent managed to wrest his sword away from him and challenge him to a battle of fisticuffs, Commodus had him taken away rather than fight him. So he's a pansy. He was a complete pansy. All right, I want to stop there because I want to give us time. Any of y'all, yep, all right. All right, Charlotte, you are in, so you'll probably just need to unmute yourself. And uh, so real quick, it's it's open to you. So anybody wants to come on and talk, come on and talk. But this is what I kind of want us to try to focus on. If you have something else, it's totally cool. But as a, as a central theme, considering the very quick overview we just did of Rome, what happened, what the fall was like, uh, some some of the conflicting issues. Do, do you think that relates to to what we're seeing in modern times? Do you think that relates in any way to what the U.S. is beginning to go through? I don't think we're anywhere near societal collapse, but I do think it's begun. That's my personal opinion. So I'd be I'd be interested to hear the rest of y'all. Charlotte, you are muted on your end, just in case you didn't know that. So you'll have to hit the mute button at the bottom. Yikes, that's brutal. Yeah. Leave the world behind right there at the end. Lucky kidders. Alright, I think Charlotte might be having an issue out. Charlotte, you got it? The camera is good, but we cannot hear you. You're muted. Hit the little uh, microphone button down here. I have not heard the song. I listened to some of the last ones that they did. It's not really my thing, but I'll probably buy it just to support them. All right, Charlotte, you're unmuted. I think I can hear you, but it's very low. 
No, I can't hear you at all. All right, Nat, I'm going to bring you in. Let's see if Charlotte can get her thing figured out. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Awesome. So I have a quick question, uh, not to derail too much, but just about the Romans and kind of what we chatted about with the Jews a little bit, or, yeah. um, you know, the Christians being persecuted more so. Um, I'm just curious, was it, where did the idea that, like, the Jews killed Jesus come from rather than the Romans? Like, is that related in any way? Was that something that they wanted to think? Or was it just kind of like a game of telephone throughout history? Because Jesus said a lot against what the Jews thought, and they said he was blasphemous. Like, where did that idea come from? I learned that way too recently, that it was really the Romans only. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a really good question. So it's, I, I would say, and I'm sure people will argue, but I, I would say there, there are different accounts. Uh, I think the most common one that you'll get is that the Jews kind of in a way helped sell him out and they helped kind of stoke mm -hmm. the fire of the flame against him. So, I mean, one of the things you really got to consider, and this is anecdotal, it's not in the Bible or anything, but uh, is, is just, Again, going back to who Jesus was, like, what was he doing? What was he doing? And then why were people around him reacting the way that they were reacting? Ghost talks about it a lot. Like, what is the reason that something is happening? And so to identify that, you got to look at, like, what was Jesus doing? And then when you inventory all of his actions, what did he do? What was one thing he did that everybody likes to talk about? The tables. A lot of Jews were involved in that. That would piss a lot of Jews off. The biggest thing is like Jesus in, in the eyes of the Jewish faith at the mm -hmm. time specifically, Jesus was coming in to destroy Judaism. That's the way they saw it, right. which is why a lot of people think like, or, or they'll argue about, you know, Jesus didn't come in to, to get rid of the law. Like, no, the, you know, if you want to get all semantic about it, he came in to fulfill the law, but in a way that is kind of getting rid of the law. So if you want to play semantics, cool. But if, if whatever, call it fulfillment, but he, he came in to basically shake up the Jewish faith. The biggest thing, though, in my opinion, is that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. Jesus was supposed to be that Messiah. They don't believe he was. So to them, he's a heretic. He's an imposter. He's a liar. He's destroying the Jewish faith. He's pulling Jews out of Judaism into Christianity. I mean, he's he's kind of causing problems if you think about it. So did the Romans kind of use that to their advantage, like you said, to stoke the fire? Because I'm sure the Romans couldn't care less if he was being anti-religion or, you know, blasphemous or whatever. But but he was anti-government. Right. But did the Jews help kind of support that? I think like, so. From from everything I know, that. I think so. So I the way okay. I see it and the literature does not. It, it, the, the problem is, like, it's not clear at all. But the, the way that I see it from, like, I always kind of say aggregating everything, I view it as like the, the Jews were super pissed at Jesus. They did not like him. They saw him as somebody wrecking their religion, taking people out of their religion. So they're super hot. And then they find another group of people, essentially, Jew, or, uh, Romans, who also hate Jesus, but for different reasons. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. I kind of figure from everything we have that maybe they didn't directly team up. But I mean, if you have two huge groups sociologically who are pitted against you, even if they're not holding hands while they do it, it's probably likely that, yeah, they were stoking the flame for each other. And I don't think either one cared who killed them necessarily. I think the Romans had more justification from a legal route. So I think the Jews probably paid a part in pushing him in that direction. But it's a tough question, yeah. honestly. 
It's, and it's interesting you brought up the point how a lot of like the government mental stuff wasn't really super clear or super drawn out, you know, in the Bible because again, I think there's a lot of focus on how anti-religion, how anti the way religion was going, yeah. you know, was for Jesus and I think there's not as much emphasis on how anti-culture or anti-government or whatever. Like you yeah. said people take out that one verse about give to Caesar what Caesar's and I think I, I'm just I think it's really interesting how it's always mentioned from a religious standpoint but I feel like the fact that he was so anti-government and that's the reason he was crucified is not as widely I don't know maybe known or accepted by people who don't study religion yeah. I just I, I think it's interesting that I wonder if that was manufactured that way intentionally so that just covers my question yeah, I think uh, I think it probably will. I think and maybe I should take back the anti-government thing because that's going to get some people in trouble if they repeat that. So <laughs> when I when I say anti-government, maybe a better way to say mean. it. But for everybody else, maybe a better way to say it would be he was anti-authority uh, other than God, I guess is there the better way. Like he wasn't anti any kind of government, but Roman, he was against corruption. He was against Jewish right. corruption. That was the temple deal. He was against Roman corruption. That was a governmental deal. He was just against what was wrong, really, really. So just to be clear for, for everybody, maybe and don't say he's anti-government. Be, the government just happened to be doing a bunch of things that were super wrong. Yeah, so he's anti-corrupt government. We'll say that. Corrupt right. government. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Awesome. You got anything else? No, I think that's it. Thanks. All righty. Charlotte, you get it figured out? Perhaps, maybe, we'll see. You're muted, but we got your face there. You're still muted. Or you're not muted, you're not muted, but the mic isn't working. Go into your audio settings. Go into the user settings, and then go into uh, video and audio, voice and video, and see if you can play around with that to get it to work, because otherwise you're good. But give that a shot. We'll come back to you. You got time. Don't worry. All right. Uh, while we wait, let's roll real quick into a little bit more of this. Yeah, here we go. Because this takes us into Thessalonica. Uh, Charlotte, if you get it figured out, just throw something in the YouTube chat because I can't see Discord. Uh, Rome becomes Christian. In 13, I'm sorry, 3113 CE, the Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, which granted Christianity, as well as most other religions, legal status. While this was an important development in the history of Christianity, it was not a total replacement of traditional Roman beliefs with Christianity. In 325, Constantine called the Council of Nicaea. That should sound familiar, I would assume. If you're Catholic, it should really sound familiar, but I feel like most Christians, if you're not familiar with the Council of Nicaea, it's definitely something you should look up and go through. Uh, very famous, very famous, which was a gathering of Christian leaders to determine the formal or orthodox beliefs of Christianity. The result of this council was the Nicene Creed, which laid out the agreed upon beliefs of the council. And actually, I wanna read that to you guys. I want to read this to you. So if you didn't go to Catholic school, Nat and Nick, I know you guys go to Catholic church, but if I went to Catholic school for a lot of years, so the Nicene Creed, you, you can say this in your sleep while somebody is slapping the hell out of you. 
because you have said it so many times in Catholic school. Just like I can say a rosary while getting the shit slapped out of me because of Catholic school indoctrination. So here's the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God every week, baby. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in the Lord, one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, excuse me, with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adorned and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There it is. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So this is the Nicene Creed. Big deal at the time in 325. Constantine called that together, and it was a gathering of basically, and I I say this with all the love in my heart, basically the people who had control and who decided what Christianity was. Now, I want you to really think about this. And I I have nothing against Catholics, genuinely. I actually respect them a hell of a lot more than I respect most Christian denominations today. So this has nothing to do with Catholicism. What this shows is that we have and we continue to basically gather a group of people together who are called the Christian experts, and they decide what Christianity is. Now, in a way... This is how every denomination of Christianity started. It's it, obviously nuances and differences, but this is essentially what it is. You you get me, you get Ghost, you get Nat, you get Nick, you get Mikkel, you get Graves, and you get Charlotte all in a room. And we go, all right, who's Jesus? And then we write that out. Who is God the Father? You write that out. The Holy Spirit? Write that out. What are some important things that should be mentioned? Baptism sanctification. You got all these key hit terms that are important to who? Jesus? No, he's not there. God? No, he's not there either. I mean, technically, but he's not sitting there. To who? To Nat. Nat likes baptism. So we're going to put baptism in there. We're going to focus on it. It's going to be an essential part of Christianity, which, you know, agree or disagree is not what it's about. It's about an individual human being who is not God saying this is of vital importance. We need to focus on this. Here it is. And so we compile our denomination, right? The, the, the cult of theism denomination of Christianity. Well, then Nat gets pissed off about a year later. Nat's like, you guys are assholes. I don't want to be friends anymore. Uh, Nick said, I, I, I'm leaving. We hate you. So Nick and Nat leave. They go find five other people and they get together and they say, okay, well, this is what we thought of when I was with Joe and Ghost and Mikkel and Graves and Charlotte. I don't agree with these things anymore. So we're going to take these out. We're going to put these in because these are actually what's important. And now we're a new denomination. This is how Christian denominations happen. 
is when groups of human beings who are fallible and where it gets tricky is in Catholicism, they in some states call the Pope and some of the cardinals infallible, which by definition is rough to deal with, but we are infallible humans. And so if we gather together and we decide this is what Christianity is, and therefore this is the name of our Christian denomination, that's problematic. Yeah, it's very problematic. I, I don't even think it's got the potential to be problematic. I think it is problematic. I, I think it's it's troubling. At the same time, I get why it would be difficult. I also see the other side. So it's it's a very it's a very it's very much a tightrope walk uh, of trying to figure out what needs to be there and what doesn't. But uh, anyways, essentially what happened was uh, then the, the Council of Nicaea came together. They they decided these are all the most important things. And if you're being honest and you're going through this, it's pretty dang good. It, it covers basically all of the key tenets of Christianity. It, it covers divinity. It covers uh, salvific law. It covers baptism. It covers forgiveness. It covers. It even mentions the prophets. It's like they did take great care to to really try to touch on all of the most important parts of Christianity, which you have to respect. And regardless of how you feel about the the Catholic Church, they did a good job of putting most of, if not all, of the really key tenets of Christianity into this small little creed, where where Christians could profess this, and in a way profess the entire faith of the Christian group in this few paragraphs in a way you have to respect it regardless of how you feel about them it was well put together it was well intentioned probably probably but either way we got what we got this is where we are the last two popes disagreed on so many things yeah for sure i mean if you guys haven't seen it yet i'm not gonna i'm not gonna break the story here but quick reminder and especially for the new people. Sunday night, we do a Bible study at 6 p.m. Central Time right here. So come to the same place. Thursday, we do these open forum podcast discussions where you, everybody in Discord votes on a topic. Whatever gets voted in is what we cover. So Rome got voted in, so we're doing Rome. You can always call into the Thursdays. And starting next Saturday, we're going to be doing news and current events from a Christian perspective. So, uh, you know, everybody probably to some degree watches like uh, whether it's an independent media channel or CNN or some garbage. Uh, either way, you, you watch these, which is very good. And I'm sure a lot of the stories will be similar or the same. But the, the thing that we're going to try to do different is kind of come at it from a Christian perspective. OK, so from a biblical point of view, from from a, a, a objective moral view of Christianity specifically, how do we view these things going on in the world? My point is that the Pope last week did something pretty weird. Pretty, pretty, pretty interesting is a better word. So I already got it down. We'll go over it on Saturday. But yeah, Popes do weird stuff for sure. Popes are slowly kind of moving away from Christianity and seemingly moving into culture, which is extremely risky. Screw you guys. I'm going home. Is that a South Park reference? It's basically that last paragraph. That's the biggest issue. Yeah, so the last paragraph was what, Nat? The mention of the Catholic Church. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, the, the biggest point of this was because there were already other denominations of Christianity. So when the Nicene Creed was created at, at the Council of Nicaea, they, they addressed 
the fact that sects of Christianity were beginning to break off because many Christians did not appreciate what the Catholic Church as an organization was doing. So they split. And then uh, many of you guys weren't here because we did it a long time ago, but we went through um, Calvin, Calvinism, the, the history of it. So, so what happened with the Catholic Church and the Protestants and then the, hist the historic timeline through that. But if, if you don't know, that was kind of the big one that everybody knows about where Protestantism kind of split into its own thing officially. So before, Catholics kind of had a grip on all Christianity, for the most part, had a grip on a lot of Christianity outside of Orthodox. But anything that was near Rome was under the control of Catholicism. Catholicism also worked hand in hand with the government, and they still do. The, the Pope today works hand in hand with the WEF. You didn't know that. They, it, it's not a quiet thing. You can Google it and find out. But the, the Catholic Church leadership works with the WEF, the World Economic Forum which if you don't know is essentially the one world government or at least attempting to be. So yes, the, the Catholic portion of this is problematic because what does this mean? If you alter the creed, it's sacrilegious. If you take Catholic out of, out of the Nicene creed, you'll be called a heretic and people were, and people were killed for doing it. So it's not like this nice recommended script. It's, it's you believe this or you die at some points in history, or it's you believe this or you're a heretic, which especially during this time would have you completely outcast from society. The rest is essentially that we believe in the history of the Bible. Yeah, even more than that, now I'd say the, the majority of it is really just trying to touch on what are the tenets of Christianity? What makes you a Christian? So definitely some of the history, without a doubt, you're totally right. But what they tried to do primarily was say, what are the most important parts of Christianity and how do we put them into one, one section of wording? What baptism, uh, forgiveness, sanctification, salvific law, prophets. Like you can see where they just like, they worked it in to be able to have it. Like the section here, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. You've got the Holy Spirit there. you got the Lord. You've got this term giver of life that Christians like a whole lot who proceeds from the Father and the Son, there's your uh, Trinity when you add the Holy Spirit, who with the Father and the Son is adorned and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. So what does that sentence say? That sentence gives validity to the minor and major prophets of the Old Testament. That's what it is. So it's, it's, not, it's not so much a synopsis of Christianity. It's these are the things you have to believe to be a Christian. And these are the things that we want to verify are accurate which is why they worked in, who has spoken through the prophets. So if anybody said, you know, uh, Zephaniah, a minor prophet in the Old Testament, was BS, it wasn't true, it wasn't real, I got you, Nat, one sec. Then somebody would point you to the Nicene Creed and say, well, what? Because God spoke through the prophets. So you're saying Zephaniah, um, a minor prophet in the Old Testament, is not legitimate. Well, the Nicene Creed disagrees with you. So we agree with that. All right, Nat, you're good. So the, the question that uh, was in the YouTube chat was about why um, non-Catholics can't take the host. And I don't have to, I don't have much authority to answer that, but I, I believe, and I could be wrong. Honestly, some people in this might know better than me, but I think basically to, to have to go through 
your first communion, your confirmation, you're basically saying that you agree with the Catholic tenets, that you agree with everything in the creed and everything that's Catholic church yeah. um, believes in, including that the host is the body of Christ. And I guess they don't, I would assume that they don't want people um, consuming it or taking it. They don't actually believe that it is transformed into the body of Christ and the blood yeah. of Christ. So maybe basically they want you to have to go through everything to prove that you do believe in what they're saying, including the fact that it's Jesus's body in order to take place in something that's seen as so sacred, not just to keep people out or to keep them out of their club, but because to them it's seen as such a big deal that that's the literal body and blood of Christ. You need to really know what you're getting yourself into to consume it. So that's kind of my Super high level um, understanding of it. No, you're 100 percent right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So and then the interesting thing of, about the Nicene Creed. I'm sorry. I'll let you no, go on no, after that. Good. But um, but uh, the interesting thing about the Creed is that it actually changed probably within the past 10 years how we say it. Imagine having to <laughs> memorize that whole thing and then them changing it, and you have to memorize it a whole different way. That's basically what happened about 10 years ago. So really? it used to be more of a translation, like being begotten, not made one in being with the father is what we used to say. Now yeah. it's consubstantial with the father or it used to say the only son of God. Now it's the only begotten son of God. You're I have right. them both memorized. Yeah, um, you're but right. they changed it because it went from being a translation to more literal. So there's words in there that are weird and sound funny and are difficult to pronounce or whatever that we don't say in our normal life that used to be a little bit more flowy a little sound a little better yeah. in modern english yeah that they changed back more to the latin and i think the original you know way that they wrote it so that it's more literal so that there's less opportunity for translation so that's something interesting to know about this as well is basically we changed what we say we believe in entirely even after I went through the whole process to say like, yeah, I'm Catholic and I believe in everything, had my confirmation, um, there has been a very significant change. It, so does well, it- same idea, but different okay. words. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. So if the, did, yeah. did any of the content change or just the way the content no. was expressed? The only thing is- Cause I did notice that this section here yeah. was different. Cause I, I don't remember- yeah, like the it used to say like in fulfillment with the scriptures. Yeah. Now it's in accordance with the scriptures. Yes. Just words like yes. that. Yes. Okay. Um, Interesting. So again, I think they just changed it to make it more literal, but yeah. or at least closer to the original. Um, but it has changed, which could maybe be a problem. But I don't know. Like yeah, said, actually, same substance. When we get off, I'm gonna compare them because as I was reading mm -hmm. it, yeah, I tripped over a few parts because yeah. it, it like wasn't in the back of my head. And that's, I'm really glad you said that, but yeah, I'd be curious. So when we get off, I'm going to put them side by side. And if I notice anything, I'll post it in discord. Cause I'd be curious to yeah. know if did the content change at all, or is just the expression of the content different because that I get, I mean, if you take the yeah. ESV, the NIV, the NLT, you, you do first Corinthians 13, it, it, the content is relatively the same, but the expression of right. the content is different. So, I mean, I think it's I more that. like that. I think, yeah. again, it was more, it was more, it was easier to understand by the, you know, common folk. And they wanted it to be like, no, we need to use the closer words to the original language and you need to understand what it means. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. And yeah, you'll really hear some people you kind of trip up every now and again, but I, I'd be interested to, to see the comparison as well. I'll do this after too, to kind of see if maybe they did slip anything in there. Anything did kind of change. I yeah. never really 
that way. No, let's do it. So if you find anything, put it in the Bible section and I'll, I'll do the same yeah. thing. Cause I'm curious. For sure. Uh, Charlotte, I want to give you another chance. So you don't feel like we're ignoring it. Did you get it figured out? Your video is good. I wish your audio was as good as your video. You're muted now. So try to unmute and we'll see if you got your mic sorted out. Talk. No, no, we still can't hear you. We still can't hear it. Uh, Charlotte, when we get off, I'm going to record a video of me changing my audio settings in Discord, and maybe you can get it figured out because uh, I, I can't do it right now. But uh, you could also YouTube it real quick, but I'll send you that at least for next time because your video is solid. You're just your audio is no good. Uh, OK, so I saw something here in the chat. Hold on. Like, yeah, same Calvin who wanted to burn synagogues with Jews inside. All because they still didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Nat, why can't non-Catholic Christians take Holy Communion? Okay, that's so that's what Nat was talking about. So what Nat said is absolutely true. She's 100% right. That's exactly what it is. So it's it's called transubstantiation. Is the, the, the thing that happens when uh, priests are able to bless the host. And it, it changes from being a wafer that is manufactured... In a, in a factory. I've actually seen them be made. Uh, it's not a magical process. But when they get the wafers, they they bless it, and it's transubstantiated into the actual, literal body of Jesus, is what they believe. It's not a it's not symbology. It's not an illustration. It's it's nothing poetic. They believe once it is once it is. No, you're good, Nat. I'm going in right now. Once they once they bless it, once they transubstantiate it, and they do their their hoopajoo. I don't mean to be disrespectful at all, but they do their thing, right? And and now it is not any longer a manufactured in a big warehouse in central Chicago wafer. It is the literal body of Jesus Christ. They did a prayer that literally translated it, and not white girl literally, literally, literally. Trans, trans, transferred it, transubstantiated it into the actual body of a of Jesus Christ. Same thing with the blood. They legitimately believe it is the actual blood of Jesus that you are drinking. It is not symbolism. That is the difference. So the, the, the whole thing to say it very short, but what Nat said is 100% correct, is that if you do not adhere to their beliefs about what transubstantiation is and that it exists, then you would be disrespecting God by, by partaking in communion is essentially what it is. That's what it is, which is exactly what Nat said. And she gave even more detail, but if you don't adhere, you don't partake is really all that it is. Okay. There was something else, man. There was something else. Hold on. Didn't the Roman Catholic Church split from the Orthodox Church? This is highly, 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 super freaking highly debated. Uh, I am on the side of, of yes. I do believe that. So you, you essentially have two camps with this. You have one camp that believes the Roman Catholic Church was first. So the, the Roman Catholic Church was, you know, Peter was the rock on the hill that Jesus Christ put forth to be the first pope of Christianity, yada, yada. So that 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 camp of people believe that Peter started the Catholic Church right then and there. And so therefore, Catholicism is the oldest, greatest, and only legitimate 
form of Christianity on the planet. The other camp of people believe that Christian orthodoxy branched off of the early Ecclesia, which I personally believe in. That is my opinion, and I am not telling you what to believe. That is my opinion. I believe that what did we see during the New Testament? We saw we saw Ecclesia form. What is Ecclesia? It is a group of people gathered together for a specific purpose. It was originally a war term. Christianity kind of co-opted it, and now they, they took on Ecclesia. They called what they did Ecclesia. Group of people coming together for a specific purpose. So that was the first movement of the church, which in scripture says it was called the way. That was the early Christian movement. It was called the way. And, and what, what happened from this? You had houses of people meeting together. You had people meeting in public, in groups, preaching, teaching, praying, casting out demons, the whole nine. And then as that progresses, they eventually move into buildings. They eventually start to move out of homes. And this begins the Orthodox Church. Historically, logically, and kind of just from timelines, I personally believe that to be the truth. However, it does conflict with other people who say that Peter was, you know, appointed by Jesus and therefore started the Catholic Church. But those are your two views. So half believe that Catholic Church split from Orthodoxy, half believe that Orthodoxy split from Catholic. And it's it's this never-ending argument of which one was first, as if it really matters. It's okay, I'm still on the fence about my overall belief on it. Something I've been praying on. I'm drawn to orthodoxy. Yeah, honestly, orthodoxy is is great. It's definitely not without its problems, though, just to be clear. Just like uh, Catholicism is great, but it's also not without its problems. The one thing that's really great that I think the Orthodox Church has a leg up on the uh, the Vatican, the Catholic Church, is that they have a lot less... They have a lot less law brought in by humans. And I guess what I mean is that cardinals, popes, um, priests have over the years introduced a lot of doctrine. They're, they have also altered doctrine. So what that says is either you were wrong then or you're wrong now. Either way, that's, that's tough to run a religion when you're changing doctrine sometimes necessary i guess but it it does invalidate to a degree your religion the orthodox church has changed very little very little they they adhere to the same things they have always adhered to for the most part they 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 oppose essentially the same things they've always opposed for the most part they've stayed very steady throughout history and just like this you know we got the bible this is what we use and that is all this is the interpretation. We take it literally in almost every sense. And it is what it is. You're with us or you're not. Vatican II. Yeah, let's get into that. We don't have time for all that. I understand about the real presence, but my point is the Roman Catholic Church seems to be compromising on so many things. Yeah, exactly. So you know, PK Carve, we are, we're going to talk about that next Saturday because the Roman Catholic Church just compromised on another really huge thing just this week, a very huge thing. So yes, the biggest problem with the Catholic Church is that they change. They change, why? Because of culture. They move with governments. They move with uh, the World Economic Forum. 
They worm they move with Davos group. They they are hitched. They've hitched their wagon to world governments. I don't think you can run a religion if you are adhering to world governments and their morality and their culture, especially when Christianity was counterculture. It's it's impossible to do, in my opinion. It's a new filter on Catholicism. I like that. That's really good. It's a new filter on Catholicism. Reform Catholicism, basically. Yeah, in a way. In a way, yeah. Yeah, we will eventually do a, do a, a Thursday on on the Catholic Church, the history of the Catholic Church, uh, the history of the doctrine, what changed, when it changed, how did it change, the uh, the timeline kind of of the shift of the Catholic Church, kind of away a more from the Bible and and a bit more towards the side of culture. Um, I they've held to tradition very well, but th they do bend to culture. That's the that's the big thing that's hard. And again, nothing against Catholics. I, I my, my mother was a devout Catholic her entire life. And I spent m most of my educated years in Catholic schools. So I, I have respect for them and I, I very much respect the tradition. I, I just don't like that they move too closely with culture. I don't know by what I see Joe winding up and Orthodox as well. I mean, if you had to label me, that would be the closest thing I would be. But I, I still, I, I don't agree with orthodoxy. I don't, I don't agree with any denomination of Christianity. Because they all still say, we are right. We are right. This is the truth. These are all of the truths about truths. And if you don't agree with them, you are wrong. I will never, I will never be able to deal with that. Ever, ever, ever. I do not think God is that lame that you can just put him on a list. And this is everything about God. It drives me banana sandwich. So orthodoxy is the closest you can get me into like a label, but I still orthodoxy is I I know some people they're not huge fans of me. My Catholic friend just liked the real wine part in communion. Your Catholic friend sounds like an alcoholic. Just kidding, mostly. It is good. It's sweet wine. He already has a head start on the beard, the <laughs> the orthodoxy beard. Uh, real wine is a must. I prefer the grape juice. I like going to a, uh, I like going to um, a non-denominational church for communion day, because you get like the little Jesus wafer pack. Have you guys had that? It's phenomenal. So this is what it is. You you get basically like a shot glass with with a, a plastic film on top, and then there's like a secret compartment on top of that that has plastic film on it. And so you peel the first plastic back and you got your little wafer, boom. And then you peel the second plastic back and then you got your shot of wine, which is actually grape juice. But it's, it's let's, I mean, let's be honest. Whoever invented that is a millionaire. Can we be real? Whoever came up with the mobile Jesus wafer pack, the Lunchable of communion, the dude is rich, rich. Graves, that's one of the best parts of being Catholic, but having an open mind. I know what I'm talking about, but not brainwashed. Yeah, Nat, Nat is a beautiful example of Catholicism because she, she adheres to Catholicism. She recognizes where maybe she doesn't align with them, but she's, she's open-minded and intelligent enough to say, I really like these things about Catholicism. I recognize that there's probably no denomination that fully 
it is where like I would fit in perfectly. So I'm comfortable at the Catholic Church. I'm comfortable with the way they do their tradition. I like it. I respect it. I, I'm intelligent enough to recognize the things that I don't like, and I'm comfortable with that. It's what Nat and Nick, I assume, who goes with her, what they do is is a beautiful representation of emotional intelligence, of, of being able to do something while understanding you don't fully agree with it, but adhering to the things that you do agree with and being cognitively aware of all of that the whole way through. It's a wild reflection of emotional intelligence, and I have massive respect for, for her and her husband for that. It's a beautiful thing that they're able to do that. Good thing I'm not sensitive, Joe. I think I wouldn't have lasted here too long if I was. Yeah, I don't even think it's sensitive. I think it's if you had low emotional intelligence, I think you would have bailed and called me an asshole a long time ago. But you don't. You have very high emotional intelligence, which is a super rare thing. So be aware of that and be very proud of that. Graves, that's one of the best parts. Oh, we already read that. They both got mad at me and my older brother about us going Christian. What were you before, Graves? Wasn't like your your wife was like, uh, was she pagan or was she Wiccan? Right? She was Wiccan, I think. But what were you? I thought you were just kind of like a rock. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, like rock star. I don't remember you being involved in like a religion. Would communion work with Capri Sun? I mean, Ritz, Crackers, and Capri Sun. I mean, take it on communion day to your local non-denominational church. Say that Joe sent you and see what they say. Your Catholic friend is an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all of us. That's why I love this group. I think what you just said describes everyone. Uh, yeah, I agree. For the most part, everybody here is pretty emotionally intelligent. It's uh, it's a beautiful thing, man. To meet people like you guys in, in, like, in real life is extremely rare. I think I could count the people that think like you all do. Probably on two hands in my entire life where I've met people who whose brains function in such a logical fashion like most of you here do. It's I, I have found it personally to be very rare. So I that's why I massively respect all of you, especially because I know I say wild stuff and I know I have wild beliefs and I, I stray from a lot of things that most people would be like, uh, you're a freaking heathen. Uh, you guys are at least like, eh, I don't agree with that, but I, I get what you're saying. I hear you, and I, I massively respect that. The true 1%. The true 1%. All right, guys, we're going to start wrapping up. So if uh, if you've been here for a while, you're, you're free to bail. I'm going to run through some of the just system stuff because we have you know a handful of new people here. Uh, so feel, feel free to bail if you want to. Otherwise, uh, we will wrap up here right now. So, the cult leader Joe told me to bring you these. <laughs> Holds out Ritz and Capri Sun. All right, I got to copy that because we have a cult quotes section in the Discord. And that's definitely going in there. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Now, getting serious, though. Getting serious. So, any, anybody. I love you guys. You're all beautiful. The floof, the floofer. I, I love the comment about your friend. Uh, it took me a while to accept Christianity because my dad called himself God. Wow. And brainwashed me with lies and torture. So when I discovered God was right there, it was amazing. Charlotte, I am very excited to hear your story at some point. We uh, we got to do that. Maybe, maybe 
Yeah, I'll Charlotte, I'm gonna message you on Discord. I would like to get a little taste of kind of that the story about your dad your dad thinking he's God. I don't know how literally you mean that, but, but I want to hear more about that. And then maybe maybe you and I can record a, a, a call in Discord where you kind of give your testimony. And if you're comfortable, I can post it on, on YouTube to everybody. Or if you want, maybe it can just stay in the group. Or if you're just comfortable with me hearing it, then it can totally stay between us. But I would be very curious to hear about that. Um, so, so yeah, I'm going to message you when we get off here. Sorry to hear that, Charlotte. Yeah, that's wild, man. That's right. That's wild. Groups are made of imperfect people as they grow. So do challenges due to diverse perspectives and behaviors. Recognizing and managing these complexities is key in larger teams. Exactly. Which is why over the past several months, we've kind of tightened up like the rules for the group. Because I, I'd rather have, I'd rather have 200 people in this group and never a single person more. If it meant keeping the culture rather than having 10,000 people in this group and it being an absolute wreck of people who don't get along and people who don't respect open-mindedness or respect your view, even if they don't agree with that. I don't care if anybody agrees with anything. I care that you respect and try to understand where they're coming from. You don't have to agree with them. I don't agree with all of you on certain things. You don't agree with me on certain things. That's the whole beauty of what we do is that we do not need to agree. We need to respect and then try, just try for the sake of your own intelligence, try to grasp somebody else's perspective. It doesn't matter if at the end of it, you say, I don't agree with it. You first need to grasp it to decide whether you disagree with it or not. Scott never disappoints. You're absolutely right. Scott comes in, drops heat and then disappears. And it's a beautiful thing. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. So everybody who's new. This is what we do, and I explained it earlier, so this is me repeating myself, which I do a lot, so you're going to have to get used to it. Sunday night, we do a Bible study. It's a live stream. It's on YouTube, same way you're watching it right now. We don't run the Bible study through Discord, so it'll just be on YouTube. You can't call in during the Bible study. If you want to, though, just shoot me a message in the YouTube chat, and like I'll probably bring you in. It's just not something we normally do, but I'd be happy to do it. Um, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Central Time, it's always at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Central Time on Thursday, we do this. So how this works is every Thursday night, so when we get off of here right now, within an hour, you'll see a new poll up right here. So you'll see this poll, and it says podcast topic for Thursday. And then it, you have four choices, the fall of Rome, sleep paralysis, what is modesty, and did dinosaurs exist? Everybody in the Discord votes. 44% voted for the fall of Rome. Therefore, we covered the fall of Rome. So by Saturday, the poll closes, and that allows me a couple of days to prepare for whatever you guys choose that we're going to do. So that's what we do. So every Thursday night, within an hour of this stream right here ending, you will see a new poll up. I'll tag everybody so that you know, so you can go throw your vote in real quick and then not think about it until, uh, until it gets approved. Then Saturday, I'll make a post about whatever it's going to be. So if so, you have time to prepare if you have questions you want answered or you're like, there's this one point about the fall of Rome that I really want you guys to bring up and talk about or, or explain to me, then you, you'll be able to have that ready. And what you'll do with that, like I said earlier, is here in the chit chat rooms, you'll see the red dot. The red dot corresponds with our streams and lives. So, you know, this is the stream chat section. So every live stream we do, and we just started doing this, so you're not going to be able to find a lot of them. But every live that we do now, you'll see the fall of Rome, the title of the live stream, and then you'll see the date of the live stream. 
So you can come in here and actually this is a good example. So last week we did what is Sheil? So I'll post it and then now it's open. So from Thursday to next Thursday, you have a week to start putting in, well, I guess five days because Saturday the poll closes. You'll have time to come put content in here. So you're like, I wanna bring this up and I wanna bring this up and I want, cause then I can just click your picture and I can show it right here. So we have everything ready to go. So you can always do that. Hang out, it's confusing at first. Discord had everybody kind of messed up cause a lot of us are older. None of us used Discord before. Just be patient, you'll figure it out. It's really cool. Uh, but that, that's how that works. Then every Thursday during the live stream, you can come click on the podcast call in and then you'll be able to, you'll be in the audience. You can raise your hand. I'll see your hand up and then I can bring you in and you can, yeah, you can post your Instagram account. I don't care if you guys like flood the channels, like trying to push your own. I don't do that. If anybody, if anybody try like floods, any of the channels with your personal Instagrams and stuff, we'll, we'll probably delete it. Cause that's not what we're here for. But if, if you want to put your Instagram out, I don't care. That's totally fine. Um, but that's how that works. And then beyond that, I mean, that's really all you need to know. If you want to get prayer from anybody, there's down here, there's a prayer section. So there are people who sign up to be on the prayer team. So they get these requests. They'll pray for you right there. And then if you say you want it to be public, they'll pass it to me. And then I can pray for it live on the live streams. We, we had a, kind of close it a bit for a minute because we were having some issues, but it should be good now. So you come in, you hit request prayer, you'll get this form where you click and then you can fill it out. You either want it to be private, you want it to be public. If it's public, I'll read it on the live stream. If it's private, nobody will see it. Just just the prayer team will see it. But that's that. But yeah, you have the library. That's where we all kind of share what we're reading, the things that we like, things we recommend to everybody. The old library is just an older library that we had before we updated it. Off topic is where everybody just kind of chit chats. Everybody just talks. It's also where your name will pop up when somebody new joins. So everyone can like wave and say hi, yada, yada. Uh, theology is specifically theology. Not the Bible, but theology. It's a specific topic. Culture and news is culture and news. Conspiracy, we all know what that is. And then the Bible is for like, you have a verse you want help on. Or, or you want to share a verse just to be encouraging, whatever. But it has to do with the actual literature of the Bible. There's there's your section for that. And then science is a newer section, but it is there as well. The most important part is right here. So at the very tippy top, you'll see events. You can click events, and then you will see what the next events are. So this week, normally there will be two and this is all going to change because this week, Sunday, we're not doing a Bible study because it's Christmas Eve. So we're going to skip it. Next Thursday will be business as usual. And then next Saturday, we're starting our culture, news and current events live stream. So that'll be Saturday, either at 6 or 7 p.m. I haven't decided yet. And that'll be central time. I have to I have to talk to Kat and figure out what we can do. But every Thursday night, open forum podcast, you guys vote on the topic every Sunday night Bible study other than this week because Christmas Eve. And now every Saturday night, starting this week for the first time ever, will be basically a news show. So if you guys find any news articles or, or anything that you're like, yeah, that should be on the stream. I, I want everybody to talk about that. Come into culture and news, drop the link to the article, and then just do at Tattoo Theist. And then I will get a tag 
and then I'll, I'll swoop in. I'll grab your link. I'll put it in my notes and then I won't miss it. If you don't tag me, I won't know it's there, but you can always pass them to me and then I'll vet it. And if for some reason I don't want to use it, I'll let you know just so you don't think I'm being rude, but chances are we'll probably use it. So if you find a good article, uh, try to avoid videos because YouTube's weird about it. Articles are best. If it's a short video, we might be able to make it work, but that's that. So some things are changing. The new people, sorry if it's confusing, but uh, things are things are shifting into what I think will be really good. I think it'll be really good. Uh, she was a Wiccan. I was more of a, of I believed in God. I just didn't have a religion, but she followed me when I picked Christian. Gotcha. Okay. That sounds familiar. Yeah, that's it. I don't know why I thought you weren't religious at all, but that, that makes more sense for sure. Good woman, great. Yeah, absolutely. Good woman. Have an awesome Christmas, fam. I'm going to head out. See you all in Discord. Yeah, everybody have a great night. My Catholic, just like the red wine of the communion, Joe, your Catholic friend is an alcoholic. God, I love you guys. I, I love you guys. I'm going to shut this down. Uh, everybody have a great night. No Bible study Sunday. We'll see you back here Thursday. I'll post the uh, poll tonight for the topic for next Thursday. And then we'll keep rolling, man. But uh, Charlotte, it was lovely to meet you. I'm glad you're here. And then, uh, what was it? PC, somebody yeah. else popped in. Ghost. Yeah, DNA Uh-oh. This is really dangerous. I think Ghost is accidentally in here. Let me mute him before something wild happens. All right, everybody have a great night. Everybody have a great night. I love you guys. I will see you uh, Thursday. I'll see you Thursday and then see you in the Discord. If anybody new needs help in Discord, reach out to somebody with a blue name or myself, and we, we will do our best to help you. I love you.